Take your copy of God's Word. Join me in the uh, Gospel according to John, uh, excuse me, Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter, and for the next little while today, I want to talk to you on this thought, um, all I want for Christmas is, and I want you to fill in that blank, all I want for Christmas is. Matthew chapter 2, and uh, this week, my wife and I, after many years of marriage, many wonderful years of marriage, may I add, um, my wife and I uh, did something we've never done before. It's always been our tradition to take our kids up to the mountains and take a kind of a hayride and drink hot chocolate and cut a living Christmas tree, a live Christmas tree, bundle it up, put it on the back of the truck, bring it back home, decorate that. That has been our tradition ever since the boys were small, and I don't think we ever missed a year. But now that our boys are grown and gone and have their own families, we still continue to do that. But this year we did things differently. For the first time in all of our years of marriage, we didn't go to the mountains, uh, we didn't take a hayride, we didn't drink hot chocolate, we didn't cut a tree, but I came home from the office on Friday, and right there in my driveway was our Christmas tree in an Amazon box. <laughs> this year, we have an artificial Christmas tree, first time ever. Now, there's some advantages because it never needs watering, <laughs> doesn't drop any needles, uh, and you can use it year after year after year after year. It's actually a big business, but only time is going to tell if we're going to be satisfied with the artificial Christmas tree. I've read about them, and there's tall ones and skinny ones and fat ones and, and, and uh, short ones and artificial trees that come with snow already attached and lights already attached. They even have, they even have inverted trees that hang upside down from your ceiling to save your floor space, if you've seen any of those. Uh, so there are all kinds of trees, but for the first time, we are experimenting with an artificial tree. The tree doesn't really matter that much to me, but I am convinced and I am determined that though I might have an artificial Christmas tree, I'm not going to have an artificial Christmas. Uh, I do not want to substitute the real thing Christmas for an artificial thing. So I am determined to make sure that I stay focused, and that I recognize the reason for the season is uh, the entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world as a helpless little baby. God's treasure, heaven's treasure, sent to us as his unspeakable gift. I think, in my estimation, one of the greatest considerations in the human condition is what's called the Carmen Christi out of Philippians 2, where the Bible says, let this mind be in you, who was in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of, of man, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. When Jesus came into this world on Christmas, he voluntarily laid aside his prerogatives to all of his divine attributes that were inherently his by being God, uh, the creator and the sustainer of this universe. But when he became Emmanuel, God with us, he laid aside those privileges and many of those prerogatives and he became a man so he could rescue the human family from the sin-cursed world. 
All throughout the Old Testament, there is movement anticipating this birth of the Christ child, this birth of Messiah. And it just builds and builds and builds. And then you reach this uh, intertestamental period from Malachi to Matthew. It's a period known as the 400 silent years. Uh, For 400 years, there was not a prophet that spoke or a prophet that wrote from God. But uh, after Malachi in the Old Testament puts down his pen, what you find in Matthew's gospel now is the glorious presentation of the birth of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a child. His name would be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So what I want to do today as we look at this question, all I want for Christmas is, and get you to fill in that blank, what I want to do Uh, for our proposition is give you three brief narratives. Now, this is kind of a topical message. It's not typical for what I normally do, but it's a topical message, and I'm going to give you three narratives that I'm going to read very, very rapidly this morning. And out of these three narratives, you will see two groups of people and an individual. You'll see the wise men, the shepherds, and then an older man by the name of Simeon, and how each of these individuals celebrated not an authentic, uh, celebrated not an artificial Christmas, but an authentic, a real a meaningful Christmas because they stayed focused and they knew what it was about. Of course, you know the setting for the Christmas story. Uh, The setting is uh, Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. But during that engagement process, Mary was discovered to be with child. And that would have been absolute scandalous uh, in those days. And she was found to be with child, but not a child of Joseph. And it was not the child of a Roman soldier, not the child of another individual. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary and that she conceived in her womb and that she would bear a child. This child would be Emmanuel, God with us. That is the incarnation. It means to put skin on. God, who was in glory, stepped out of glory, wrapped himself in the skin of humanity, and was born in Bethlehem's manger on that very first Christmas morning. And the Bible says that this child, unlike any before him or any after, would be the child who would save his people from their sins. Now, there are many children born in the Scriptures. You read the Old Testament, you will find there were many baby girls born. There were many baby boys born. There were all kinds of births. There were barren women who were able to conceive and have children. Hannah was one of those. She was uh, barren for many years of her life, but God worked in her life in a way that she was able to give birth to Samuel. Rebecca was uh, a woman who actually bore twins. She had twin boys. Uh, Jacob and Esau, if you remember that story. So there are many great births recorded, especially in the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, you know, you don't see that. Really, uh, from what I've been able to discover, there's only two, two births mentioned in the New Testament. One is found in Luke chapter 1, and that is the birth of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. He was born about six months before Jesus. And then the second birth is the Lord Jesus himself. After Jesus was born, you find no other babies being born in the New Testament. Did you realize that? I find that interesting because all of the movement throughout the Scripture has been leading up to this one child who would be unlike any other child. Now, he was like other children in many ways, but he was exclusively different in the way that this was the only child 
who would be God incarnate. The only child who would have an earthly mother, Mary, but have, an earth, uh, have a heavenly father, God. So what we want to do today is look at all I want for Christmas is and trace these three narratives of two people groups and one individual. And the first people group I want you to see is how the wise men celebrated this authentic Christmas. And we're just going to read this uh, few passages from this narrative about the wise men. You know it very well and you are familiar with it, I'm sure. So let me just read for you a portion of it in Luke 2 verse 1. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. Now, that was bad news for King Herod. Herod was seated on the throne. Herod wanted no uh, competition. And Herod did not want to know and hear that there was a new king that was born. But these wise men come, and they are searching for this newborn king. And Herod says, listen, when you find him, you come back and tell me where it is so I can come and worship him. And, of course, we know that was not uh, Herod's uh, plan. Herod's plan was to find this Christ child and to... To have him exterminated. Well, the wise men, if you will drop down to, uh, to verse number 9, after they have this conversation with Herod, the Bible says, when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. And it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Notice this. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So here are three wise men who seem to come out of nowhere. They appear on the pages of Scripture for just a brief instant of time, and then they vanish off the scene about as quickly as they had arrived. Who were these wise men? Now, these were well-educated, well-connected, influential men who were living in the, in the area, we would call it Persia or the Mesopotamia area. It's kind of the part of the Fertile Crescent that would crest over the nation of Israel. And uh, they were, they were well-educated men who studied many disciplines in life, such as medicine, uh, disciplines like uh, astronomy. So, so really, these were astronomers, for lack of a better term. Now, not astrologers. Please make a note of the difference between the two. An astronomer would be an individual who would study the heavens, the celestial bodies, and their positionings, and, and, and study the planets and the stars and those kind of things. Well, that's astronomy. But an astrologer would do the same in that they would study the positioning of those celestial bodies, but then they would interpret that to say, based on how this body is uh, of stars or planets are aligned, that's going to affect you this way. And they look to see how that would affect life. That's called astrology. Um, God forbade that in the Old Testament. He never allowed that. So we know that the wise men would not be men who were, who were uh, looking to see how the zodiac would, uh, would uh, lead individuals' lives. So God wouldn't use astrologers to do that, but he did use the astronomers here known as wise men. Again, they were intelligent, they were well-educated, they were well-connected, but how did they originate to know God and to be looking for this star and to be searching for Messiah? These men were actually 
descendants of the original Jewish captives from Babylonian captivity. Don't miss that or you'll not understand the true meaning of the Christmas story. In 606 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, he kidnapped many of the Jews. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Many, many others carried them back to Babylon. You remember that story in the Old Testament. Well, uh, over the years, even after the Jewish people were able to come back into Jerusalem and rebuild under Nehemiah, some of the Jews stayed there in Babylonian captivity. The Medes and the Persians conquered them, and then they continued to kind of integrate with the Medes and the Persians. They were there for some 600 years. Most scholars will say that it was Daniel who taught those original Magi the interpretation about Messiah and his, his promised arrival. So Daniel taught those wise men who taught other wise men who taught other wise men. And now for 600 years, they had been looking for his first advent. Just as you and I today, we've been looking for the second coming of Christ for 2,000 years now. He said, Pastor, that's a long time. But you know what? We are 2,000 years closer to the return of the Lord than we've ever been. Just as we are looking for his second coming... They were looking for his first coming. And they had been doing that for some 600 years. And they were waiting. And they were watching. And they were studying. And they were searching because they knew that the Old Testament said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew that. They knew that the Old Testament said he would be from the, from the tribe of Judah. From the lineage of King David. They knew that. They knew just as I read to you from Isaiah 9 this morning, that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a child, they knew all of that. And for months and months and months, they had searched the heavens. And they saw this unusual star that would begin to lead them from their home in Persia right into Palestine in search for this newborn king of the Jews. And when they found him, the scripture says they were so moved that the king was born, they brought to him gifts fit for a king. Gold and silver and frankincense. They kneeled down and they worshipped him as the entrance of the king of this universe into their very midst. Now wouldn't it have been interesting if the wise men had substituted the real meaning of Christmas, the arrival of Christ, for an artificial meaning of Christmas? Meaning, just suppose for a moment that Belteshar and, and uh, Gaspar and uh, Melchior, those wise men, when they saw the star in the east, they just said to everybody that they work with, come over to our place tonight, we're going to have a star watching party. We're just going to watch the star and we're just going to have a party because it's an unusual day for us and we want you to come over and there's going to be drinking and there's going to be uh, carousing and there's going to be all kind of celebration and all kind of partying and we're just going to have a star watching party and they would have been totally oblivious to the fact that Jesus had actually been born. Now, have you ever been to any kind of a Christmas party that is similar to that? A party where there's a lot going on. A party where there's a lot of activity taking place. But it's obvious that the folk who are having the party are oblivious as to what's just happened. Oblivious to the real meaning that it is a celebration of the birth of the Lord Jesus. If these wise men had just been, been deaf to the fact that Jesus came into the world, 
and they just saw it as an opportunity to party because this strange star had appeared in the sky, the song would have had to be written this way. We three kings of Orient are eating and drinking as we are watching the star. Not the same that we're used to, is it? But that's what would have happened because they would have substituted an artificial Christmas for the real Christmas. Now, there are many well-meaning Christians today who refuse to celebrate Christmas for various reasons. Some try to justify that and say, well, I'm not going to celebrate Christmas because it has its genesis in pagan festivals of Rome. And because of that, I don't want to celebrate it. And, and you know, if, uh, if you don't want to celebrate it, uh, those who may be listening um, or watching live stream and others might be watching it on television or something like that later on, um, Listen, I want to give you permission today from the Word of God. This is not for me. That it's okay to go ahead and to celebrate the real Christmas. To celebrate the real reason. And that is the birth, the entrance of Jesus into this world. Well, what about, Pastor, that it has its origins in Roman pagan festivals? Well, you know, that is true. I don't know if you realize that or not. Many of the traditions that surround Christmas do indeed have their origin in Roman pagan festivals. So what do you do with that? Here's what I do with it. (laughs) There's a lot in our Western culture that we deal with every day that we may or may not realize comes from that Roman and Greek culture that has influenced our Western world. And we deal with it every day. For example... Do you know the planets in our solar system, every one of them, are named after Greek or Roman gods? Mercury and Venus and Mars and Jupiter and Neptune, all of those those planets were named after Greek or Roman gods. Do you know, by the way, there's only one planet, now listen, I'm not talking about newly discovered planets. I'm talking about since first century Rome kind of did all of that. But uh, there's only one planet that uh, was not named after a Greek or Roman god. You know which planet that is? Earth. Earth. The word means soil. It means ground. Guess who named Earth? Man named all the other planets. But in Genesis 1, chapter 10, the Bible says after God created the heavens and the earth that God called the ground earth. God named earth. Man named all the other planets. And all of this time, we call them by their names that associates them with Greek or Roman gods. Again, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Venus, all of those, those gods that were part of the Roman pantheon of gods. So you see how our Western culture is influenced by that, so was many of our Christmas traditions. Not just, uh, not just our calendar, I mean, uh, excuse me, our planets, but do you know also our calendar is the same way? January. Well, that's the, that's the Roman god Janus. Pictured as two faces, one looking to the future, one looking into the past. Mar, um, March, named after Mars the God of war. Many of the months of the year in our calendar are named after Roman gods and Greek gods. How about the days of the week? Saturday. That's Saturn day, named after the god Saturn. 
Sunday after the sun god. Moon day. That's Monday after the moon. My point is, do you see how do you see how we deal with this every day of our lives? Not just in our calendar, not just in our solar system, not just in the days of the week. But listen, you ever drink Starbucks coffee? Look at the logo on Starbucks coffee. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Starbucks coffee. I'm just telling you how we deal with this every day. The logo on Starbucks coffee, you know, it looks like a mermaid. That's a, that's a siren in, in Greek mythology, which were these ladies who, with their beautiful music, led sailors to their destruction. Be careful, guys, all right? That's the Starbucks uh, logo. We see it in many other areas in life. In, uh, for example, the NBC Peacock. Uh, the Peacock was Hera's um, bird or royal bird, I guess you could say, and she was the wife of Zeus. We see it in things like Nike. That is the Greek goddess of victory. Amazon. Amazon was the daughters of Mars, the god of war. You drive a Mercury? That's the god of travel. For years, I drove a truck called a Titan. The Titan were the first inhabitants of the earth, according to Greek mythology, that was finally overthrown by the Olympians. How about trident chewing gum? Well, trident is the spear that Neptune carries. He's the god of the sea. You see, we deal with this in every aspect of life. And I don't want to belabor the point, but the Apollo spacecraft. Apollo was the god of archery. How about this? I'm going to hit you where it really hurts. You like M&Ms? Oh, man, who doesn't? Twix? Those candy bars? Yeah, we all do. Anything from the Mars Candy Company? Where does it get its name? From Mars, the god of war. What is my point in telling you all of that? Is we deal with these things every day of our life. I don't see anybody throwing out the calendar, throwing out the day of weeks, and heaven forbid, throwing out our M&Ms. So we're not going to throw out the Christmas celebration because it does have some roots in an ancient Roman festival called Saturnalia. Saturnalia was the most popular of all Roman festivals. And uh, every year they would have this festival where they would decorate their homes, they would exchange gifts, they would give gifts to children and gifts to the poor. And uh, it was an opportunity for them at Saturnalia to worship the god Saturn. Well, early Christians didn't celebrate Christmas. But as far as we know, not in the way we do nowadays, but as Christianity began to spread and Christians began more and more to recognize what a great day it was for the arrival of Jesus into the world, they began to use that season of Saturnalia to use that not to worship Saturn, but to worship the Lord Jesus, to worship God for the incarnation of His Son into this world. And I see nothing biblically wrong. In fact, I want to say to you today, go ahead and celebrate Christmas. Just do it the right way. I mean, build your family traditions, build memories with your children, build memories with your family, and just do everything that you can, can do to celebrate it. Because listen, it is the time that Jesus came into this world, and it is indeed the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time of the year. 
Don't let the devil steal your, your opportunity to celebrate this Christmas season. I think he's already stolen enough, and I'm uh, stolen enough, and I'm glad that as Christians that we're taking back that pagan festival and turning it back into what it really means, and that was the birth of the Lord Jesus. And we want to take back everything that we can, and that includes the rainbow flag. Amen, church? Because of, and the promise that God, it's a good place for an amen, that is the promise that God made to Noah and his covenant. And we want to take ground back and everything that the devil has stolen. We don't want to give him one little thing and we want to let him have one little inch of territory and of ground. And I pray that we just continue stronger and stronger in our faith and that there will be Christmas celebrated all around the world, not an artificial Christmas, but a real Christmas, the real meaning for it. You see, there are those in society that would love nothing more than to see Christmas totally erased from, from, uh, from life. No Christmas carols. No nativity scenes on the public square. No Christmas parties in school. And anything that has to do with Christmas, just to erase that as if it had never happened. We call it holiday. Holiday season, holiday trees, holiday cards. But listen, the, the etymology of the word holiday is holy day. Holy day. Listen, let's pray the liberals never understand that or they'll want to cancel that term as well. Isn't that right? But it is a holy day. And we know as Christians that you cannot celebrate Christmas without C-H-R-I-S-T. Christ. These wise men came. And they brought these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Nailed down and they worshipped the newborn king of the Jews, the Lord Jesus. But not just them. The shepherds did as well. Let me show you. Turn over to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke's gospel, the second chapter, you know this narrative very well. Also, uh, we read it quite often in the Christmas story. Um, Luke chapter 2. Uh, if the wise men were well connected... The shepherds were just the opposite. They were not well connected. If the wise men were highly educated, the shepherds were just the opposite. They were very uneducated. If the wise men were influential, the shepherds were maligned and probably the lowest people group on the totem pole, which shows that God is of no respecter of persons. He reveals himself to the uppity-ups. He reveals himself to the lowest of the low. And everybody in between is invited to come and drink of the water of life freely. But the Lord Jesus, uh, as he comes into this world as a baby, the the annunciation is given by the angels to these shepherds who are taking care of their sheep on the hillside. You will note in verse number 8 of chapter 2, the Bible says there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were afraid. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy. That's to Notice this, that it's to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And it will be a sign to you that you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And there was a, uh, uh, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let's see, uh, go to Bethlehem and see... This thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe 
lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told all of them concerning this child. These shepherds, regular, average, ordinary, common people, who received the announcement that a real Christmas had arrived, not an artificial, but a real one. And they were so moved that they leave their sheep. They come to the home of Mary and Joseph, and there they find baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. How did they respond to that? They could have said, like the wise men could have said, we reject it. We're just going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate it this way. We too are going to have a big party, but never mention the real reason. That's, a, that's an artificial Christmas. They could have said, we're going to have, hey, we're going to have the biggest shepherd sale that you've ever seen in all of your days. We're going to have wool rugs that'll be marked down for this special occasion. We're going to have BOGO sheep. You know, buy one sheep, you get another sheep free uh, during this very special occasion. We're going to have uh, overstock shepherd staves that have been in our closet for a long time, and we're going to sell those, and we're going to mark everything down as much as we can so we can liquidate this excess inventory, and we're just going to have a great big sale, and it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. Well, sales are a good thing, but that still lends itself to more of an artificial part of Christmas, not the real aspects of Christmas. What did the shepherds do? They leave their sheep, they come, and they see the baby Jesus, recognizing who he is, the long-awaited Messiah who came into this world to pay a sin debt that we would never be able to pay, to go to the cross and to die on our behalf and to die in our place that we would be made right with God. I love the Christmas season. And I love the celebrations of Christmas, and I love, the, I love the beautiful ornaments, and I love everything that there is about Christmas. But we don't worship the traditions around Christmas. We worship the person of Christmas, the Lord Jesus Christ. So parents, let me encourage you. Refocus your family. Refocus your children and explain to them what Christmas is all about. I want to challenge you as a family. Maybe you can find somebody this Christmas season that is lonely, that is hurting. Somebody that needs to be blessed. And you and your family can do something to bless another family for Christmas. I think you'll find that when the presents are all handed out and all the papers cleaned up and all the mess is taken care of and all the people have gone their separate ways, that you will feel more satisfied having been a blessing to somebody else than you would have been in any other way through the Christmas holiday. Let me encourage you to recognize what it's really about. Listen, I'm going to speed up just for a moment. But when the Hebrews were moving through the Sinai Desert on their way to the Promised Land, the Bible says they were bitten by these, by these snakes, these fiery snakes. God's remedy for that was he told Moses to build a snake or a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and set it high in the camp of the Hebrews, and that whoever looked at that would be healed. 
today. It's, it's, it's the caduceus in, in, in uh, Greek and Roman cultures. It's the serpent, uh, this pole with a serpent around it, and it's still a symbol of the medical profession today. Uh, but God said, whoever looks at that would be healed from this snake bite. And so certainly, we don't know how many, but many, many Jewish people were bitten, and they could look at that serpent on the pole, and they would be healed. But here's what happened over the years. Over the years, they began to look at that serpent of brass and worship that as an object of worship rather than the God who really brought the healing. They thought there was some kind of power in that serpent of brass, and they began to deify that. And we're going to look at this when we go back to 2 Kings after the first of the year, 2 Kings uh, in the, uh, I think it's about chapter 11 or 12, something like that. When Hezekiah becomes king, you know what he does with that serpent of brass that Moses made? He beats it into smithereens because they were worshiping the tradition and they were worshiping, he calls it, it's the only time this word's used in the Bible, he calls it a Nehushtan. You know what it means, a Nehushtan? It means it's just a thing. <laughs> it's just a brass thing and he orders it to be destroyed. He says, because you're worshiping artificial things, not the real thing. Let's not let that happen. At Christmas, the wise men could have done that. The shepherd could have done, shepherds could have done that. But the wise men bring him the gifts of gold and silver and myrrh. The shepherds bow down and recognize this is the entrance of the king of glory into this world. And they worship not an artificial Christmas, but a real Christmas. In closing, let me show you the final guy that we were wanting to mention. And his name, his name is Simeon. Look with me, if you will, in... Uh, in verse number 25, all right, same chapter, verse 25. When Jesus was eight days old, his mother Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple to have him dedicated. And when they get to the temple, they meet this old man, Simeon, who has been waiting all of his life to meet Messiah. And he finally gets to see Jesus, the Christ. Look at this. Look in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your will word because I have seen your salvation which you have prepared before all people alike to lighten the Gentiles. In other words, Simeon is saying, I am finally seeing this long-awaited, long-anticipated, authentic, real Christmas present, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Glory. But yet there will be many who will have all kinds of Christmas parties and sing, all I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. You're impressed your pastor knows Mariah Carey, right? I don't know her, I just know that's the song. But they can sing, all I want for Christmas is you. But not think about joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive its king. You know, it's easy to go to the to the mall, and I just want to encourage you to do this, okay? I want you to look with me on this. It's easy to go to the store and buy Christmas cards. It's easy to find cards that say season greetings and happy holidays, and cards that have Rudolph and, and Frosty, the snowman, and I'm not anti-Rudolph, and I'm not anti-Frosty, and I'm not anti-season greetings. And Those are fine things. 
I guess. But it's becoming increasingly difficult to find even Christmas cards that have the nativity scene on it. Have you noticed that? Or have Bible verses on that? And we're just becoming more and more and more of a secular Christmas that says we love all of the decor and all the trappings and all of the sales and all of the parties. But we've forgotten about whose birthday it really is. Let's not forget that. Simeon said, I have waited all of my life to see Messiah, and now he is here. There is more to Christmas than long lines and maxing out your credit card. Let's make sure that we celebrate a real, authentic Christmas, not an artificial. doesn't matter about the trees. doesn't matter about the trappings. What matters is the person. And the person, the Lord Jesus, came into this world because he loved you, died on the cross because he had you on his mind, took your sins in his own body, and with one hand he took a hold of God, and the other hand he took hold of you, and he bridges the gap and would bring you into perfect fellowship with God. No wonder, no wonder the Bible says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Without a Savior, there'd be no salvation. Without salvation, there'd be no hope. And we'd be hopelessly lost. But we don't have to settle for artificial. We got the real thing. And He came to die in your place. And if you will trust Him and ask Him to take your sin and to be your Savior, it'll be the greatest Christmas that you could ever imagine.